Well, it's good to see you all here this morning and uh, as we begin this year and uh, this new series, Step Goals, Walking with Jesus Daily. Uh, how many of you have a device that you wear to, to count your steps? I uh, wear a Fitbit zip on my pocket, uh, have been for the last uh, 11 months. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great tool. It's the small entry level of the Fitbit uh, devices, but it tells me more than I really need to know, or at least what I am able to use. It records my steps, it tracks how many calories I've burned, how many minutes of intense exercise I've done, and it keeps a tally of the miles I've walked since I started wearing it. It also gives me, perhaps one of the best things, is a daily step goal. Uh, and I don't always make it, uh, but the, the daily step goal is 10,000 steps. Now, some of the more advanced models, in addition to tracking steps, distance, and calories burned, they'll monitor your heart rate, floors climbed, active minutes, hourly activity, and stationary time. And with the FitStar wristwatch, it provides workouts right on your wrist with step-by-step -step instructions to coach you through all of the movements. And then, are you ready for this? It will track your sleep quality waking you peacefully with a silent alarm, refreshed and ready to meet the world. <clears throat> I started thinking, maybe if we started offering that wristwatch at the welcome desk out there when you come in, uh, you could pick one of those up, nod off during the sermon, a silent alarm would wake you up just as the message was ending, fresh and ready to meet the new world. Wouldn't that increase attendance on a Sunday morning? I, I think it just might. Now, these devices are great to keep us aware of our physical progress. Uh, and so, they help us with step goals so that we don't become too sedentary, so that we keep moving forward to a healthier lifestyle in the right direction. Wouldn't it be great... If somebody could come up with a religious Fitbit, to my knowledge, nobody's come up with anything like that yet, but boy, it would surely be good. Step goals for a Christian walk. Unfortunately, we're on our own when it comes to this, and that makes it hard because we're really good at rationalizing as human beings, and so, you know, it's easy for us to, well, one of our problems is that we are good at underestimating our spiritual failings and overestimating our spiritual accomplishments, which is why we really need some kind of a tool to help keep us on target with our spiritual step goals. So how can we hit our spiritual stride? Are there measurements that we can use that will aid us in tracking our spiritual growth? Well, there are. It's just not in a device that you can wear on your pocket or, or, or carry uh, on your wrist. It, it, it is tucked away in the Word of God, and so we have to become familiar with what the Bible says about measurements for our spiritual walk with the Lord. First John chapter 2, the Apostle John writes this to the early church. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must, are you ready for this? Walk as Jesus did. If we're going to walk with Jesus, we must learn to walk like Jesus. 
All this week when we've been preparing to launch this new series, this old camp course has been just bouncing around in my mind. I wake up in the morning, it's on my mind. And I don't know, maybe you learned it, maybe you didn't, and maybe you learned it in VBS. Uh, it goes something like this. If you know it, will you please sing it with me? Some of you, uh, I do know, know this. Walking with Jesus, walking every day, all along the way. Walking with Jesus, walking with Jesus alone. Well, I heard some of you singing it, which was good. Uh, and if you don't know it, it's just a catchy little thing to remind us that every day we are walking with him. Through the sunshine, through the shadows, doesn't matter. We're walking with Jesus all along the way. In the weeks ahead, we're going to take a look at the life of Jesus. This series really is about the life of Jesus. But it's going to take a look at his life, not from a chronological standpoint, from birth to death, but we're going to take a categorical look at his life and how Jesus dealt with specific areas in his life and how that needs to change how we live our lives as well. So next week, we'll start looking at the one who set the pace for the rest of us. But this week, I want to explore the importance of our walk. Why does it matter? How we live our life. How does it matter that we walk with Jesus? Just as physical walking helps our bodies, so our spiritual walk offers great benefits in lots of ways. So can I ask you a couple questions this morning? How's your spiritual walk? If you had to answer, what kind of an answer would you give? Are you taking steps in the right direction? Would your family or your neighbors or your co-workers say that you are walking the walk and you're talking the talk. How is your spiritual walk with the Lord? The year's still new. There are 51 weeks left. So how are you going to improve your walk with Jesus in 2017? Well, there's a lot of things we could take a look at, but let me take you to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And the first thing that Paul mentions to us in this passage is that we need a new focus on our thinking. Colossians chapter 3 opens with these words. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The phrase, raised with Christ, presumes that you have died. A living person does not need a resurrection. When we chose to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord, when we became a Christian, something dynamic and incredible happened internally. Now, I never did consciously feel it, but it was monumental nonetheless. I died. When you became a Christian, you died. That's the very pageantry that opens up and unfolds before us in the act of baptism. It is an act of a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Somebody died. And you say, yes, it's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's true. But do not miss the second side of this pageant. It is your own death and your own burial and your own resurrection. If the old me doesn't die... The new me cannot come to life. You see, in Christ, we are inseparably linked with death to self. Life in Christ means that I must die to self. Jesus said, a man cannot serve two masters. He'll love one and he'll hate the other. 
So it is impossible for Jesus to become Lord of our life if we're still campaigning for the position ourselves. To the Greek culture of Paul's day, when he writes this, the Greeks had, a, had an expression that when a person died and was buried, they said <clears throat> he was hidden in the earth. Now, Paul's original readers would have caught this immediately with what Paul says. We don't because we don't have that expression. But when Paul says that we died, we're not hidden in the earth. He says, we are hidden in Christ. Since you have died to the old ways, your thinking shouldn't be as it used to be because we have died. Now, what's it mean to be surrounded or hidden in Christ? It means that you are enveloped in him, that he has you completely surrounded, just like the watery grave of baptism. The water surrounds us. This grave envelops us. And so in this context, you and I are in him, hidden in him, which means our old style is dead, the new life has come, and, and we have to start thinking differently. And Paul emphasizes that in two different ways. He uses the same basic phrase, says it twice so that we get it. He said, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above. Not saying the same thing. Get your mind off the earthly things, get your mind on godly things. William Barclay put it this way. <clears throat> he said, from now on, speaking when a person becomes a Christian, from now on the Christian will see everything in the light and against the background of eternity. He will no longer live as if this world was all that mattered. He will see this world against the background of the larger world of eternity. He will, for instance, set giving above getting, serving above ruling, forgiving above avenging. The Christian will see things not as they appear to men, but as they appear to God. His standard of values will be God's standard, not the standard of men. Now look at how verse 4 begins. When Christ, who is your life? What's that mean? Well, your life is what you come alive to. A child comes alive when he sees an ice cream cone. A teenager comes alive when she gets her driver's permit. Grandparents come alive when you ask about their grandchildren. An entrepreneur comes alive when he discusses the company he started from scratch. A musician comes alive with the first note of her favorite song. An old car buff comes alive when he sees a classic restored. Paul says that Christ is our life and that for the Christian we are to come alive when we focus on the things of Christ. When we get our minds off the earthly things and we focus on the godly things. So it's time for us to get our minds off the mediocre and the mundane. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, how do you get your computer to do things that it didn't used to do? You delete the old program and you reprogram it with a new program. You download the new program, changes the hard drive, the old is gone, the new has come, and it operates differently. Your brain, like a hard drive, needs to delete a few things and install a few things, and the things that it installs ought to help us think more like Christ. Because what is in your brain will dominate your thinking, and your thinking will dominate your living. So folks, choose your friends and your activities wisely. Ungodly company and ungodly participation in things will have a negative impact on your mind. Such influences can be overpowering. 
One of my favorite Charles Swindoll examples is, 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 goes like something like this. He said, if you put on white gloves and you work in the mud, your gloves will get muddy, but the mud doesn't get glovey. <laughs> Pretty good illustration. Sin is like working in the mud. It always leaves a stain. No matter how clean and white and new the gloves are, they will not make the mud any cleaner. Be careful of the influences of your life. We simply cannot keep thinking like we used to and claim to walk with Jesus daily at the same time. So what can we do? Well, make some changes in what you read or what you watch or what you listen to. If there's anything that falls into those categories that is taking you away from a good walk with Christ, then, then, then change that. Change any relationships that drag you down spiritually. Now, by that, I don't mean get rid of the relationship. Just change how the relationship operates. You become the influencer. Don't let the other person who isn't a Christian be the one who's influencing you. Spend more time in God's word and prayer than you did last year. Don't bite off more than you can chew. If you read the Bible five minutes a day last year, increase it to 10 minutes a day this year. Don't jump from five minutes to an hour and a half because you won't do it. You'll get discouraged and then you'll stop doing any of it. Just take it a step at a time, a bite at a time, a new goal, a new vision. Feed your mind on healthy food. You'll need that to walk with Jesus. The second thing that Paul addresses here is a need for a new focus on our behavior. We start with the thinking, but we also need to change the behavior. Our refocused mind will lead to changes in our actions and behavior. And Paul addresses about four different areas of concern here in, in, this, in these next few verses. The first he, he deals with is a sensual behavior. If you're constantly reading trashy material, watching sleazy shows, or downloading pornographic material, it will dominate your mind, and eventually what dominates your mind will dominate your behavior. And I love the fact that Paul doesn't beat around the bush here. He is blunt, and it's a good thing because we are masters of uh, rationalization, remember? Uh, and, and here's what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What's in there? Well, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Uh, Paul doesn't soft pedal it here. He doesn't say, now ease up on these things. Uh, you know, slack, slack up on these things. He says, put it to death. Kill it. Get rid of it. Murder this old style of life. Now, that's pretty blunt. But Paul knows unless we just cut it off at the head, it will, it will never leave our lives behind. And did you notice what he said in verse 7? He said, you used to walk like this. Past tense. You see, when we started walking with Jesus daily, the old way of life had to go. So if the old way of life is still dominating our lives... It begs the question, are we really walking with Jesus? Now, that's not a hard principle to understand. It's just a hard principle to practice. The rising influence of internet pornography is astounding. The numbers of both men and women who explore this smutty side of computer technology, uh, it, is, it, it continues to grow. I ju it, it just is overwhelming. 
So before, let me, let me suggest a thought. Before you're tempted to click on that link that takes you to that site, invite your mother to sit down and watch it with you. All right? And if, you're, if your mother's not around, invite your spouse to sit down and watch it with you. Uncomfortable? Awkward? I bet you wouldn't do it, would you? Now, just because Jesus is no longer present in flesh and bones does not mean he is not present. Would you, would you do these things? Would you watch these things? Would you participate in these things if you knew that the holy God of the universe was peeking over your shoulder at what you're doing or watching? Because truth is, he is. He is walking with us. <laughs> well, that means he's with us. So whatever we're doing, whatever we're watching, however we're behaving, he sees it all. That's a little bit overwhelming. Sexual immorality and impurity must go. The battle for purity is nothing new. And only when we die to self and start walking with Jesus can the battle be won. And I'm telling you, none of us are ever prepared for the cost and the consequences of sexual impropriety. Paul warns, don't do that and invite the wrath of God into your life. The second area that Paul addresses is the area of greed, the consuming desire for things that seems to outweigh so many other pursuits. And you say, well, what is greed? Well, maybe uh, John D. Rockefeller uh, stated it best. Over 100 years ago, John Rockefeller founded Standard Oil, was the richest man at that time, became America's first billionaire, had more money than he could spend in several lifetimes. And when a reporter once asked him how much money is enough, he responded, just a little bit more. That's a good illustration or definition of greed. It's never quite enough. I need just a little more. And greed tends to make us so gullible. We, we have all gotten caught up in the, in the things we need to have. And what do you do for somebody who has everything? They don't have any needs. You don't know what to get them. So why, why not do something in their honor? Why not do something, you know, for somebody else? in their, their honor. No, we have to get them a thing because that's what we do. We get things. We buy things. We collect things. And so for the person who has everything, we resort to something like a Chia Pet. I mean, you know, what else can they eat? Well, they can probably use a Chia Pet. Do you realize, folks, that Chia Pets first appeared 40 years ago and have been, they've been sold annually for the last 35 years. Every year they sell 500,000, a half a million Chia Pets a year. Why? It's just a thing. I read last week about a guy who believes that aliens are making crop circles on his Chia Pet. <laughs> we get so caught up in things. Do you collect anything? I do. I collect Metal die cast cars and trucks and airplanes. Uh, I, I have some, and, and they're in my office here. I, I have some that go back to whenever my dad would come home from a business trip as I was a kid, and he'd bring home a Corgi car or he'd bring home a Matchbox car. I've still got those cars, and I, I have them in my office. And, and so through the years, I've just collected and added to it. And, and you say, well, why do you collect? 
I, I don't know. I mean, why do you collect what you collect? I mean, really, I mean, to, to try and come up with a reasonable answer is kind of hard, isn't it? You know, after all, what do I do with those things? Not a thing. They sit on my shelf and they collect dust. They don't help me in any way. They don't provide food or shelter or clothing. They don't make me a better preacher. They don't make me a better husband, a father, a grandfather. I mean, really, when you stop and boil down, they, they don't do anything for me. Isn't that what things are? We think we have to have things and we get greedy. Now, there's nothing wrong with things. Please understand me. There's nothing wrong with things until they start competing with God for first place in our life or until they consume our best energy or until that becomes the focus of what we do. And then Paul says, the greed becomes idolatry and idolatry leads us to sin. Fourth century theologian Augustine wrote, he said, God wants us, wants to give us something, but cannot because our hands are full. There's nowhere for him to put it. When we feel as though God's blessings are missing from our lives, we need to examine our hands and see if they are full of things. We cannot open our hands to God's blessings if we are constantly clutching our things. The third area grows out of the depth of our emotions. Verse 8 but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Notice the progression of these undesirable traits. Anger leads to rage. Rage leads to malice. And a malicious spirit leads to slanderous, filthy language. Be ever so careful to control your temper. When it is out of control, it fuels a fire that burns all who come in contact with you. We will never be able to convince anybody that we walk with Jesus daily when our emotions and our tongues are out of control. Do we need to work on our tempers in 2017? How about our slanderous gossip? Maybe our language is a little bit too salty. Remember who you're walking with. And the fourth area Paul addresses is honesty. Lying is something that every child tries and most adults learn to perfect. Lying appears to be the easy way out because nobody thinks they'll ever be caught. It can be as addictive as drugs. And its intent, its intent is always to deceive, to make me look better, profit, or become better in some form or fashion. Just remember, your world will quickly come unglued when it has been held together with lies. When you walk with Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, only the truth will do. And then Paul wraps this all up with this last verse, verse 11. He says, here, and he's speaking of the body of Christ, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, we're all on the same playing field. There's nobody better or worse. We're, we're, we're all equals in the body of Christ. The one that is different, the one that is held up, 
is Jesus, who is everything. He is all and in all. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Christ is all and is in all. You can't go anywhere and be invisible to God. You can't do or say anything and not be seen or heard by God. In the darkest night, he's there. On the remotest island, he's there. At the summit of Mount Everest, he's there. At the farthest outpost of the universe, he's there. Christ is all and is in all. And I need to die to myself so that I can walk with him because he is everything. And as we walk with him, he'll help us change. You know, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't say, you get yourself all fixed up and then come walk with me. Jesus says, come walk with me and let me change the way you think and the way you act. Isn't that great? He starts it with us. I understand that the Social Security Administration annually mislabels 14,000 names. Somehow these 14,000 names go from the status of being living to being deceased. It's just the fact that the people haven't died. They just get well, they just die in the system. Laura Brooks, a 52-year-old mother of two, was one of those caught between life and death in the system. She suddenly stopped receiving her disability checks. And then her rent checks that she would write and her utilities checks that she would write were starting to bounce. And so she went to the bank to inquire. And the representative at the bank told her that her accounts had been closed because she was dead. But they said, she said, was there anything I can do? And they said, well... We could reopen your accounts on one condition, that that is, you could prove to us that you're still alive. <laughs> how do you do that? I don't know how long it took. Should have been instantaneous, but I bet it took a whole lot of paperwork to show that she was still alive. What if someone asked you to prove that you are spiritually alive? Would it be instantaneous? How would you make the case? Would you be able to make the case? What kind of paperwork would require that you could prove you're spiritually alive? Do those around you know by your thoughts and actions that you are walking with Jesus? Is your spiritual Fitbit telling the world that you've hit your spiritual stride once and for all? 